So in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it begins to define faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So notice the first two phrases, the the first two phrases. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, If you think of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Um, Hope, hope is placed on something that is not seen. It's something that's not here. It's something that you don't have. Uh, If you remember when you were a little child and you, and you lived with, uh, with the hope that you're going to get what you want for Christmas or what you ask for. Uh, most of y'all are pretty much my age, but uh, remember the Sears catalog? And, uh, yeah, the wish book. And mom and dad used to hand it to us and say, here, highlight a few things that you, that you think you might want for Christmas. And you highlight a few things. And, uh, and then you sit around in anticipation, hoping uh, for what for uh, that Christmas day to to arrive and so the the hope even hope has the idea of something that is future and that you don't see and you don't have yet and then you read the second phrase uh, it says the conviction of things not seen now that's that is uh, that that was encouraged me when I was teaching this with the with the seniors because when you talk to an atheist and they're, and they're giving you a hard time and hassling you. Uh, they claim that you've never seen God and nobody can see God and uh, we worship some make-believe fairy tale in the sky and all of those kind of comments. But here it is right here in scriptures uh, that faith is faith in things that are not yet seen. And so if you think about the things that we can't see, the first thing is, John chapter 1 and verse 18, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. Nobody has seen God. Nobody can see God because if they see God, they'll die. Nobody has seen Jesus since the resurrection. Let's go back to John chapter, uh, chapter 20. And I'm going to read verses. Tw- I'm going to read verse 29 to you. I don't think he saw God. I think Adam saw God in the garden. I don't think anybody's seen God face to face directly um, since since then. Um, but John chapter. 20 and verse 29 this is thomas you remember thomas he was doubting thomas he said i'm not going to believe until i can stick my hands in his wounds that kind of thing and it says in verse 29 jesus said to him have you believed because you have seen me blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed who are the ones that have not seen jesus but have believed you, you and I. So nobody's seen God the Father. Nobody's seen the Son. The, the Holy Spirit is spirit. The flesh, uh, the uh, fleshly eyes cannot see spiritual things. Uh, and so nobody has seen the Holy Spirit. Nobody, despite all of the books that are on the market, nobody has been to heaven and has seen heaven. Uh, nobody has seen hell. And the Bible says that uh, God will save us. Those he saves, he will also justify. Those he justifies, he will also glorify. I've never seen a glorified human being. All right, so think about all of the things that we haven't seen, but yet we still have faith. And as we move further on, I think it'll, it'll come clear. I think it'll give some good insight. Um, Let's go to John chapter 6.
John chapter 6, in verse 46, it says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Okay, nobody has seen the Father except Jesus. Because he is not just a physical human being that entered into history. Uh, but he is the second person of the Trinity has always exists and, and sits at the right hand of God even now. And is fully capable of, of seeing God. The things that we... Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go back for a minute to Hebrews chapter. Uh, excuse me. He, yeah, Hebrews chapter eleven, because I I wanted to see the next the uh, next verse. Verse three. It says, "By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are not seen." Uh, which is a very significant verse, because if you let your mind go to Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one says that. It, Every person is without excuse because God has made himself clearly seen. Right? So there is a sense that we do see him or can see him, but it's, but it's not in a physical sense. Uh, we have to believe that he exists by faith, and then we can see his footprints in everything. Um. But notice that he says, when he talks about his judgment in Romans chapter 1, that every man is without excuse. And the idea of faith here, that by faith people believe that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not uh, made out of things that are, that are visible. <clears throat> and uh, lost my train of thought here. Um, he's without without excuse, and I think what he is uh, in, in, insinuating is that it's absurd for anybody to look at creation and say that there is no God or that somebody else made it. If I if I told you that I was uh, on my way to church tonight and I was over on the Geechee Road, I think it's a a action auto parts down there. And there was a jet that came out of Hunter Air, Airfield and came over, and just about the time I dropped, uh, I, I went by, they dropped a bomb on the on the auto parts place, and and all of a sudden, I saw this cell phone formed on the side of the road, and I just stopped by and picked it up, and I brought it with me today. All right? You think that's absurd? There's that's no way possible. How how can how does a how does a bomb? Have you ever seen a bomb or a bang create anything? It always creates chaos. It always destroys. But yet science wants to try to convince us that there was a big bang, a big explosion in the very beginning, and out of that came something that is, that is more sophisticated than the cell phone that I hold in my hand. So what are the, ch what are the chances that this uh, occurred just by a bomb being dropped on the auto parts? place or a junkyard well if, if, if it's near impossible for this to form because the jet dropped a bomb on a <coughs> junkyard how much more impossible it is that the universe was created by chance that it just happened <coughs> it says that it's obvious that what has unseen what is unseen made the things that we see right because nobody can take what we see and, and uh, create the universe. Nothing, nothing I mean, you talk, talk about science. What is science? Science is going into a science lab and uh, doing an experiment and then sharing the results of that experiment. If it's a fact, if it's true, that means that anybody on the whole entire planet can walk into the science lab, do exactly what the scientists did, and come up with the same facts. They came up with the same thing. If it's a fact, then you can go into the science lab and do the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you're going to get the same result. How many of you have ever seen nothing 
create something. Can, can you take this, nothing, and take it to a scientist and say, will you make me something out of it? No, because you don't have nothing. Nothing makes nothing. But yet they're saying that there was a lightning bolt way, way back, billions and billions of years ago that struck something and began to, it began to unfold. And, and everything that we see now is just an, a, an evolutionary chain of events that has created and made everything that we see around us now. The Bible says it's a total absurdity if you think that. That faith begins, faith begins with the reality that you know that there's a God. It is so clear that every person is, is without excuse. I can, I can go on forever and, uh, and, and share uh, different reasons that I believe that God absolutely e exists. Tom. Yes. <clears throat> this Big Bang Theory is not only absurd, it's just plain stupid. Yeah. I don't know how anybody could believe that, yet they do that in the colleges. It reminds me of that scripture says, ever learning and never able to come to the truth. Yeah. Or only a fool would say in his heart, there is no God. Okay, there is no God. I don't think come up with this foolishness like the, uh, like the scientists have come up with um, the theory of evolution. All right, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Blessed are those who are pure, for they shall see God. Deuteronomy 4.12 uh, says that they heard a voice but saw no image. Uh, John chapter 1.14, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and 1 John 3, well, that's not the one. Uh, yeah, 312, uh, we see the glory of God in scriptures. In uh, Hebrews, it talks about being enlightened. Uh, enlightened means uh, under, coming to understand something. Uh, so if I was to say, well, how, how do you see God today? If I say, you know, I, I saw God in that or, or something to that effect. How would, how would I say that I see God or that I know God exists? Uh, well, if we, were, uh, if we were in a, an accounting class and uh, we, were, we were learning how to do accounting, we have the debit column and the credit column and the balance column and all that other kind of stuff, and I'm teaching and you come up to me after class and says, Pastor, I mean, uh, Professor, I said, uh, I really don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand all those columns. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I just don't see it. And then I'm tutoring you, and I'm helping you, and I'm showing you, and then one day, it just kind of a light comes on, and you're like, oh, I see it. I completely understand the whole, the whole system now. So I could be an accountant, right? It's the same kind of thing. You believe that God exists, right? You know that he exists, and then you begin to see. You begin to see his you begin to see his footprints in ever, his fingerprints in everything, right? I mean, you think about uh, you think about evolution. I mean, just to give another example, think about evolution. I mean, what what are the chances of a one of a one cell amoeba or whatever it was that the lightning bolt hit at first that started that generated the evolution? What are the chances of of that one cell evolving into a human being that's capable of seeing, hearing, smelling, feeling, and tasting. And, and what was driving it, what was the mind behind the reasoning that there had to be eyes, and there had to be ears, and there had to be a nose, and there had to be a tongue, and there had to be nerve endings? And how did evolution know that there had to be a whole bunch of different colors, and a whole bunch of different sounds, and a whole bunch of different tastes, and a whole bunch of different things? Right? I mean, what are the chances? You, you, you think about the, the, the cell phone and the design and the manufacturer and the blueprint and all of the planning that had to take place to make the cell phone. And now I'm saying, what are the chances that nothing was guiding evolution? No mind, no thinking, no understanding was guiding it, but you got a human being. Did it turn on? Something buzzed. Um, all right, and then, uh, and then once you get, then once you get that statistical probability, 
and how it happened. How did another human being evolve that was female and could be united together to procreate other human beings? I don't even know how to turn this thing off. I'm just going to. Nope, I'm just going to, I'm just going to restart it. All right, so I mean, so I'm just saying, you can you can see the the impossibility of it. It makes no sense. There there has to be something behind creation, and that is God. And faith begins there. And everybody's without excuse who thinks that there is no God. They're without excuse because it's so plain and obvious that there's something behind creation other than creation itself. <clears throat> so when we come to this uh, Hebrews chapter eleven. It's not the first time that we, that we see it. Okay, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter, chapter 6 in verse 11, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. There's the full assurance of hope. Go down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for the refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. There's the hope that is set before us. Again, go, set, uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. There's the idea of the hope. And then go over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 23. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an eagle conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so you have the full assurance of faith and you have the, the, uh, the, the confession of our hope. And what, it, what is it that, that holds those things to, together? It is the fact that we have a God that is faithful and cannot lie. And again, as we move forward, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see this idea come, up, come about a little bit clearer. He who had promised is faithful. That's why we have a, go, have a hope. Okay, we get into the, the examples of people who live by faith. 11.2, it says for... By faith, people of old received commendation, right? They were, they were saved by faith. They, too, had an assurance of, God, of God's promise, right? They, they didn't see. We'll see in a little bit if we get, get enough time. We'll, we'll see that, uh, that they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't see anything. Let me give you a quick example since I'm saying so you won't be confused. Abraham was, was uh, he made, God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So I'm going to make of you a great nation, and you're going, to, you're, going to bless the, you're going to be blessed, and the nation is going to be blessed through you. Okay, and what do you need for a nation? First thing you need is people, right? Look, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have descendants, as many as are on the, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Guess how many people Abraham saw? And it was at the end of his life. Isaac wasn't in the land of Canaan. He went in the land of Canaan, went out of the land of Canaan, went back to the land of Canaan. He had Isaac, but Isaac was the, on, was the only thing that he saw or received from the promise of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. So he had an assurance, a hope. He had a conviction of what he did not see. Because he had a God who was faithful and could not lie. He made a covenant with him. He, he believed God. He trusted God. And it was committed to him as being, right, committed to him as being righteous. 
So since we're already there, and we'll come back to it again, <clears throat> what did Abraham have? What was available to Abraham? Yeah, God, God's word. That's all he had. That's what he had to stand on, right? We haven't seen God. We haven't seen Jesus resurrect since he's been since he's ascended. Haven't seen the Holy Spirit. Haven't seen heaven. Haven't seen hell. And we haven't seen a glorified, glorified believer. So we have assurance of God that he's, what he has said is going to happen, it's going to be. We have assurance of the hope of things that we hope for. And we have conviction of things that are not seen. But what do we have? Same thing that Abraham had. What did Abraham have? God's word. What do we have? God's word. Right? The outcome of living faith, again, 11.3, by faith we understand, by faith we see God's fingerprint in all things. As faith increases, we gain stronger conviction that God's word is true and our future hope so, uh, so sure we are willing to walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith becomes somewhat of a manifestation of the unseen things shown by Christians walking by, by faith in full assurance that and conviction of those things that are not seen. Okay, and then in, in verse 4, uh, we start getting into the examples of faith. We'll move, this, move down through these pretty uh, quickly because we don't have, really have a lot of time. Spend a, a, a whole lot of time uh, with each one. But the first one in verse 4 is, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay? Uh, Abel offered to God a sacrifice by faith. Now, we think about a, 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 a sacrifice. We make a, we make a sacrifice. The reason why we make that sacrifice is because we see something that's more important or more invaluable, uh, more worthy, that we're, worthy to, we're, we're willing to make that sacrifice. Right, so if you have a conviction of things that hope for you, believe that there's a, you believe that there's a better place, you believe that there's a better city, you believe that there's a, uh, that there's heaven, and to and to get to heaven, uh, requires sacrifices. So you're willing to make that sacrifice. Now suppose I was selling some uh, selling some land, uh, and uh, you wanted to buy it, and before you bought it, you said, look, I want to. I want to walk around it. I, just, I want to see if there's any ponds. I want to see if there's any, you know, any animals. I want to see where the boundaries are. I want to see what my neighbors, where my neighbors are on the other side of the, of the land and everything. And you're walking through the land and you look at it. And while you're walking, you step on something. Sounds hollow. Sounds like something's hollow and it's wood. And you're like, what in the world is that? And so you move the leaves around and you dig it up and you find some chest. You pull it up out of the ground, you open it up, and it's got like jewels in it. It's like gold, all kinds of stuff. And I'm totally unaware of it. I'm trying to sell the land. You found it. You're not telling me. But you come back to me and you say, yeah, I'll buy it. Now, you don't have the money to buy it. But you know what you do? You make all the sacrifices you possibly can. You're asking everybody that you know for money. You're going to the bank and you're trying to sign for a loan. You're trying to do anything you can. I mean, you have sold everything in your house to get this land because you know that there's something valuable in the middle of that land. If you get the land, then you're going to be all right because you know the jewels that are in the middle of the land. And so you're willing to make all the sacrifices that was necessary to obtain that particular land. Same thing with Abel. He was willing to make all of the sacrifices because he knew that God was worth. He was worth it all. He knew that if he could if he could know God and enter heaven, everything would be all right. And he was willing to sacrifice everything that the world had to offer. I think the parable of uh, the pearl of great price is uh, what I was uh, referring to. So why was Abel, Abel's sacrifice acceptable and Cain's wasn't? Well, I believe that Adam was still alive, obviously. And Adam was able to teach his children and to tell him the requirements for worship. How were you to approach God? 
What kind of offering did you need to make to God? How were you to, how were you to approach God to make that offering? And Abel took it seriously. Right? Talk about reverential fear or the fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning of wisdom. Uh, I think it's both. I think it's both. Some people say, oh, it's reverential fear. It's not that we should be terrified of God. <clears throat> I think that what you see and know about God is terrifying. That now that you have experienced his love, mercy, and grace, that you have reverential fear over him. And what I mean by that, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a mountain. I don't know if I told this. I told this illustration before. I don't know if I have it here. But there's a uh, barber back there, my mother-in-law. Uh, her, her family used to, have, uh, used, to, used to do a family reunion up in Tennessee area. And uh, this particular state park that we went to, it has several buildings. And then over here on the right-hand side was, was uh, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a fence. I don't know if you'd call it a bench. I don't know what it was. But it was a wall that was about maybe this big. And I thought maybe you could sit on it. But when I walked over there and looked over the other side, it went straight down. It's like 300-some feet. All right, and I'm just thinking, that ain't a very good wall because I could trip over that and fall over the side. And I got, I mean, Ashley and Rebecca are just about this big. We were running around. And so I was scared that I might fall over it, and I was even more scared that my kids might get over there and fall over it. So I had a terrifying thought in my mind about what would happen if I fell over the side or if my kids got over there that I had reverential fear, right? I have reverence, I had respect for that wall that I watched how I approached it and my eyes were on that wall and on my kids for the rest of the day. And if I saw my kids heading in that direction, I would run faster than they would to make sure they didn't get close to that wall and go over the side. So, same thing with God. I mean, you understand what it would be like for an unrepentant sinner without Jesus Christ to approach God. And now you're aware of that and you have Christ, but now you approach him in a very respectful and, and, and reverent way. You, you, you approached him the way that he has regulated that we will approach him. Right? We, don't have, we don't have free will in the sense that we can do Whatever we want, we can decide how we're going to worship God. No, God says how we're going to worship God, and we should make sure that we worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. Right? Uh, I think there's a document called the Regulatory Principles of Worship. And that's for those churches who believe that worship is regulated by scriptures. So they make sure that when they are singing a song in church, they make sure that it's a biblical song that reveres God and it's, no, it's not a freedom for us to just decide, well, this is how we want to have worship because this is more entertaining or this is more exciting or this is, better, this is more fun than singing that kind of music or those kind of words or what have you. And so we don't have the freedom to worship God the way that we want. Uh, we have to worship God the way that he has regulated and we need to fear him enough to approach him in the way that he wants us uh, to approach him. Can you imagine uh, the high priest of the Old Testament entering into the Ark of the, Covenant, Ark of the Covenant without doing all of the things that was required by him before he entered into the Holy of Holies? Can you imagine that he said, I can choose the way that I want to enter into the Holy of Holies? They had reverential fail, fear because only the high priest was allowed to go in there. If the high priest didn't do what is right and he walked into Holy Holies and died, nobody can go in there and get him. Or they would die too. So they would tie a rope on him. And they didn't come out at the right time. And they thought something was wrong. They grabbed the rope and dragged him back out. Because they couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. Which means that you couldn't even say... Well, God will understand because he walked in there and he didn't have reverence for God and he died and I'm going in to help him. So since I'm going to help him, I can go into the Holy of Holies. No, you can't because God has already regulated. There's only a certain amount of people can go into the Holy of Holies and it had to be regulated in a certain way. 
many of our churches and many people have taken it upon themselves to worship God the way that they want rather than worship God the way that God wants. And so Abel's faithful sacrifice was approved by God's acceptance. Right? God didn't look at Abraham or God didn't look at Abel and say, oh, what a wonderful person. Uh, what a great sacrifice. I'm going to accept it because you're a great person and that's a great sacrifice. No, He's, he looked at Abel and said, you did what I required. You presented what I required. Therefore, I commend you as righteous. And so many of us in the church think that our way is the right way and we please God in creating our own ways of worship. All right, the next one is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who who seek after him. Now, Abraham, or excuse me, Adam was created, and then he lived 930 years. He was 930 years old when he, when he died. Enoch was born when Adam was 622. Therefore, Enoch was able to talk to Adam for the last 200 years of his life. So you have to... Well, how do we know that Enoch walked with God? And how did Enoch know how to walk with God? Well, he had Adam to explain to him. Can you imagine, can you imagine listening to that conversation with Adam? Or having Adam explain to him, man, he just wouldn't believe it. You know, remember, he's the only one that saw God. Here's a thought for you. Why, why does it start with Abel? By faith, Abel. Why didn't it say by faith, Adam? Yeah. Because... Abel is the first example of faith that believed God the way you and I do. Adam didn't believe God the way you and I do. He, he walked in his presence when he was first created. And so he believed by seeing God. Abel believes and, has, and hadn't seen God. But anyway, he, he was a, can you imagine Adam? Man, you wouldn't believe what it was like in the Garden of Eden. You wouldn't believe the vegetables and how they grow and the fruit trees, how they grow. You wouldn't know the peace that, the, that surpasses all understanding that the Bible talks about. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you haven't experienced until you've been in the presence of God uh, there, in the, uh, there in the garden. They said it was beautiful, though. Yes. And then, and then he went on and said, oh, man, <laughs> well, I screwed it up. I mean, they he told me not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan, I mean, Satan just, you know, threw a sly one on us and you know, I, I was there with Eve and, and I should have spoke up and said something but I just kept there minding my own business and letting her converse and then she gave it to me and I don't know why I knew I shouldn't have ate it but man I knew I mean I just I just willfully and willingly just sinned against God death entered the world through Adam sin entered the world through Adam and now for 930 years, he sees the consequence of his actions. And every single human being with a sin nature. And the world spiraling farther and farther away from God. Getting, getting more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. <clears throat> right? And Enoch, Enoch, it says about Enoch, Enoch walked with God. 200 years. Now think about Enoch. Every, everyone has a sin nature. Right? He, he lived just prior to Noah, just before the flood was about to take was about to take place. Evil and corruption was on the rise. Everybody's heart was deceitfully wicked. And here is Enoch walking with God. Walking with God uh, means delighting in God. You take great pleasure in God. You want to please God. You want to walk with Him as you do a friend. By getting to know Him. By spending time with Him. By loving and admiring Him. As your gift giver. As your life giver. 
And you do all these things by having faith in him, by trusting him, by looking forward to being with him one day. Yes. I can imagine uh, the condemnation that Adam must have felt, you know, as he saw all of what him, you know, the result of his actions as well as Eve's actions in the garden to see how things were transpiring, you know, with people uh, sinning and I, I bet that he, he felt a great burden about that. I mean, I, I would imagine, I mean, the older he got, would you? Well, I think, I think God showed his grace instantly by giving him a blood sacrifice, and it pointed to Christ's sacrifice, right. and, he, and, and he would have believed God by faith, uh, which means that he probably would have experienced some forgiveness and some mercy and grace. And so I, I don't think that he would grieve over it any more than we grieve over our past sins and how we've shipwrecked our own life and how we messed up our children's lives and how, and so forth and so on. But I don't think it was any more intense than what we, we experience because we mess up things just as bad as Adam does. So. Um, Enoch, Enoch determined to walk with God. In other words, he, he agreed to meet with him. He determined in his mind what he would do before you have to decide what you were going to do. In other words, you need to decide what you're going to do about temptation and sin before you're in the midst of temptation and sin. In other words, Joseph, for example, uh, when Potter's, Potiphar's wife uh, tried to seduce him, he ran from the house because he already determined that Pharaoh had treated, has treated him so well and has, and has been so good to him that, that he determined that even if his wife approached him, he, he wouldn't do anything. And it's the same thing with us. I mean, we should look at Christ and say, Christ has so benefited us, God, Christ has given us so much that any kind of temptation or any kind of sin that I'm confronted with, I'm just going to flee it. I'm going to run from it. Don't not think about that and don't determine that. And then it happens and you're sitting here thinking about it and wondering about it. And next thing you know, you're in the midst of it. And you're, then you start thinking, oh, I wish I just turned and ran. You need to decide you're going to turn and run long before you experience the temptation. Rejoice in celebrating in the sufferings of Christ. You're a student of Christ. He's your teacher. The student isn't greater than the teacher. If they persecuted the teacher, they're going to persecute you too. They hated Jesus and put him on the cross. People hate Jesus just as much today as they did 2,000 years ago. And if you walk like, talk like, share the gospel, teach the, teach the gospel, you're going to be hated. The Bible says that if you... Uh, if you live for Christ, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. Blessed are you when you are reviled and nasty things are said about you, for great is your reward in heaven. That's in uh, Matthew chapter 5. All right, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to detest the things that deter your walk from God. You need to believe that sin leads to death. Sin, sin leads to a curse. Sin removes you from the power and the presence of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 9, it says to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. <clears throat> Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, good teacher. And Jesus says, who is good but God alone? Right, so I think it's talking about abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil, cling to God. 
right? Because if you're going to walk with God, you're going to love the things that God loves, and you're going to hate the things that God hates. And if you've been truly regenerated, right, before you're born again, before you're saved, you abhor Jesus Christ and you love the evil that you do. When you get saved, you abhor the evil within you and you love Christ. Right? It's, it, it, I, was, uh, I was teaching over uh, at Southside, preaching at Southside on one Sunday morning years ago. I lived over in uh, Port Wentworth, and I'm driving down Highway 21, uh, and up there by Parker's on Gulfstream Road. They were doing some work there, and I was coming down the road. I think it was a deer or something was killed in the middle of the road, and there was about, I don't know, 8 to 12 vultures eating this thing up. And I come by in the car, and they fly up in the air. And as soon as the car passes, it's boom, right back down on it again. And I'm getting ready to preach, and I'm thinking about that, and the next thing you know, I've got an illustration. All right? Because the vultures are, have a nature where they can eat that stuff. I don't have a nature to eat that stuff. If I ate it, I'd get deathly sick. All right? So what if I was Jesus... And I was capable of changing the nature of a vulture. I went over there and laid the hands on them or whatever the case may be, and their nature was changed. And they flew off. And then they got hungry. And the next thing I know, they're over there eating that carcass again. And this time, instead of enjoying it, instead of using it for the betterment of their health, they began to puke and gag it and spit up because their nature has been changed. It's the same thing that should happen to us, right? When we're, saved, when we're saved, it should change. We should love God and abhor sin rather than loving sin and abhorring God because our nature has changed. Peter put it like this. <clears throat> if you go back to your sin, you're like a dog that's returning to its vomit. And we should see it as vomit. We should see sin as vomit. And we shouldn't want to ingest it. We shouldn't want to take it in. We should realize that it's going to be a detriment to our, to our life. Enoch chose to walk with God. And if we're going to choose to walk with God, then we're going to have to see sin, to put sin in its proper perspective. Let's jump over to Jude. Jude is right before Revelation. All right, Enoch... Uh, John, uh, Jude 14 and 15. Doesn't have any chapters. So it's just verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy one to ex execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There you go. You ask, what do you do about those who speak bad things against you? Understand that God's going to judge them. God's going to judge them. In other words, Enoch was the witness of God to his particular generation. Enoch was a rebuke to all of the ungodly around him. I don't know about you, but if you, if you hang around the wrong people, and then you get saved, and then you still try to keep those people around you, they won't stay around you very long. I've had, I've had that happen uh, many times. I, I was in the Army and stationed at Fort Lee, Virginia. A couple months later, I got my orders to go to South Korea. I went to South Korea. I was hanging out with some guys. We'd go to the, I can't think of the bar room up there, um, and drinking and everything. And I got over to South Korea, ended up getting saved. A couple months later, this guy from Fort Lee, Virginia, comes to South Korea. He's looking me up. He called me, hey, man, let's go out. Let's hang out tonight. Went downtown Seoul, and, uh, and I told him, I said, look, man, I said, I've, I've changed since I met you last. I said, uh, I said, I received the Lord. And I said, I don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't party anymore. And I said, so it might be a little bit different hanging out with you. And so we went out and all night he's buying me a beer and sitting in front of me. 
and I'm drinking the water. Come on, man, drink. Come on. I said, man, I don't drink no more. Oh, come on. All night long. Right, and then my mom, she was, uh, she was ordering coach purses because I could get them a whole lot cheaper over there. So she would order a bunch of them for all the people that she worked with, and I'd go downtown, and I'd buy a bunch of purses and stack them in a bag and ship them home to mom. Mom giving to all of her friends and everything. And, and uh, this guy went out with me one time. He said, what are you doing, man? I said, I'm gonna, I get some purses for my mom. I'm going to go down and load them up so that I can ship them home. And if you want to come, you're more than welcome to come. And he comes down there with me. And I'm looking at my list, trying to figure out the right purses and the right colors and putting them in the bag. And he's sitting over there in the corner and he's looking and he's getting ready to steal a bag. I said, man, you're not, you're not stealing that bag with while I'm here. So you can come back another time and steal it, but you're not stealing it while I'm here. I said, they're cheaper than they are back home. If you're gonna get one for your wife, pay for it. He didn't wanna hang out with me anymore. Right, because I was a rebuke to his life because my life has changed, right? So if you live like Jesus and you talk God's word, you're going to get reviled and rebuked, right? Enoch was getting reviled and rebuked. Enoch's witness, the content, historical narrative of God, right? Adam was still alive when Enoch was there. Adam lived 200 more years, or, or Enoch was born and, and uh, lived, lived with Adam for 200 years. He was, he was still there. He was, he was telling the historical context of God and his mistake and everything. He was, uh, he, was, he was speaking from the words that he received from God there in the Garden of Eden. Again, the, revel the revelation of God and the revelatory actions of God when he was in the Garden of Eden. And he was doing all this in the world of godlessness. And then in Genesis chapter 5, uh, we see a genealogy of death. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and he died, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and he died, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and he died. And in Edict, we see that he, at one day he was not found because God took him up. Now, when it says that he was, was not found, what does that mean? That somebody set out to search for him. Where did Enoch go? He was nowhere to be found. Didn't find a dead body. Didn't see him laying in the streets. Wasn't at home. Didn't know where he went. Went down and checked his job. Wasn't there. Went down to the store, see if he was there. Checked on him several days in a row. Never saw him because he was, he was taken up by God. He did not see, see death. Now, some people will say that Enoch and Elijah, because Enoch and Elijah are the only two that resurrected, that those are going to be the two witnesses in the book of Revelations because it's appointed every man to die once and then faith judgment. The reason why I am skeptical about that is because when Jesus Christ comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and all of us who are alive will go to be with God in the air, which means there's going to be a whole bunch of people that haven't died that are going to be with Jesus in the, in the air. Uh, it might be Elijah. It might be uh, Enoch, but I don't know. But some people like to speculate. So ultimately, ultimately, Enoch is teaching us that if we walk with God, then we will be taken up by God. If we walk by God in faith, if we have been united with him in baptism, we will, raise, we will be raised with him as well. We will be resurrected. All right, one more. I think we've got five minutes to do Noah. All right. Uh, let's see. Faith, Enoch. Then we jump down to seven. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes, comes by faith. Now remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So our faith is not in what we see by our physical eyes. Nobody has seen God. Nobody has seen Jesus Christ since the, uh, the, re the resurrection and ascension. Nobody's seen the Holy Spirit. Nobody's seen heaven. Nobody's seen hell. Nobody's seen a glorified believer. So all of our faith is in what is not seen. We trust in a God who does not lie and who is, who is faithful. Now think about Noah in light of that. 120 years, he was working in a boat in the middle of the wilderness. 
not next to the Mediterranean Sea, not next to Tigris River, out in the middle of the wilderness, talking about rain and a flood, and it's never rained and it's never been a flood. And you're building this giant, humongous boat out in the middle of nowhere, telling people, God's going to judge the world. It's going to rain and there's going to be a flood. And if you don't repent and get onto this ark, you are going to die in the flood in God's wrath. Can you imagine how he was mocked? Can you imagine how he was made fun of? Right? There's not even a, there's not a record in the scriptures of anybody volunteering that I know of to help Noah build the ark. I'm sure he had to have some help. Maybe it was his sons, but 120 years. You know how long 120 years is? Didn't see a flood, didn't see a rain. Only thing he had to hold on to is what? God's word. That's it. 120 years. Assured, assured that God, what God said is true. Assured that what God said is going to come about. Assured of the things that he doesn't, doesn't see. Assured that it's going to come about. From Adam's creation, from Adam's creation to Noah's flood, we are told of ever-increasing corruption on the earth. 1,700 years, creation to the flood. And the whole world is corrupt. God reveals his plan to judge and destroy the flesh of the earth in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. Four warnings in Hebrews concerning living by faith. Judgment, anger, fear, vengeance in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So all of these, all of these warnings, right? One thing, this is, this is a side note, but uh, you know, everybody likes to have a theme for their nursery when you have a new baby. <laughs> and uh, some people get Noah's Ark and you go down to Babies R Us when they used to be here in town and you get a lamp that's in shape of an ark and you have a lamp coming up and you have grass coming over the side and all that kind of stuff. You have all this stuff over here. <clears throat> and uh, I remember joking with my wife one day and, uh, and I said, where's all the people? And she said, what, what do you mean? I think she thought I was saying, where's Noah and all that. But I said, all the people that should be floating around in the water in the bottom there, why is that not there? Can you imagine put that in the nursery? All kinds of dead people floating on the river. Right? But the idea is that we, by faith, believe God. We need to believe God is righteous. We need to believe God is the judge. We need to believe God is angry at sin. We need to believe God uh, that he is vengeful. We need to believe God that he is going to destroy sin. He is going to destroy humanity unless you repent and have faith in God. Noah found favor in the sight of God. By faith, he believed God, right? This is on the, this is on the backdrop. Now think of this is on the back. 1,700 years since Adam was, was created and the world is spiraling into corruption. Everybody had an evil heart and was thinking about evil and plotting evil continuously, right? On the, on the backdrop of the, wickedness, of the wickedness of the world, you have Noah, right? Righteous. Right? Not, not, not perfect. Right? No man is perfect. Not sinless, because no man is sinless. He had a sin nature from Adam, just like we do. But on the backdrop of the wickedness of the world, Noah was the best that there was. And he believed God, trusted God, and by faith was commended by God as righteous. And it was in his walking with God that he was saved and his family was saved. Right? It's through our walking with God in faith that God uses us to save and to spare the lives of others. So it's not only for, for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of the people around us. 2000, or excuse me, 120 years preached with no real fruit, mocked and ridiculed, yet persevered in obedience and built the ark and finished it in 120 years. Noah built the ark in obedience to God. God blessed Noah and saved him and his family. 
God intends, God intended from the very beginning to use family to bless the world. God blessed Noah by saving his family in the ark. And God blessed you and me because if Noah wasn't faithful and wasn't spared in the ark and was killed with the rest of them, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. So see how far-reaching faith is. See how important it is to walk by faith and not by sight. Noah in the, comment, the condemnation of the world. Remember the seed of the woman, the seed of Satan will bring, will be enmity. They'll be at odds with each other. When we walk with God and serve him, we show that we are the seed of Christ, that we are not at odds with him, that we're in accordance with him, and we bring a rebuke on the rest of the world, uh, revealing that they are not walking with God, and they are not in accordance with him. The ark was graciously provided by God for sinners, just like Christ is graciously provided by God for sinners. Just like you need to be in the ark back in the flood days, you need to be in Christ before the end of the world. The flood waters was the wrath of God that destroyed all of mankind except for Noah who walked by faith. Jesus Christ died on the cross as our substitute. He absorbed, received the wrath of God upon himself that we deserved. Now, we don't have to face God. Listen, uh, we, don't, we don't have to face God in his wrath, but we face him in his love. Through, through the ark, Noah escaped the wrath of God. In Christ, we escape the wrath of God. In the ark, Noah found grace and favor with God. In Christ, we found favor. We find favor and grace with God. The ark was planned by God, and salvation in Christ was also planned. God gave the plan for building the ark. God planned salvation before the foundations of the world. The ark was a place of safety, and Christ is our place of safety. Noah and his family had to come into the ark to be saved. We have to come to Christ to be saved. The call to come into the ark was limited. And the call to come to Christ is limited. Not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will respond to the car, to the call. Once the flood came, the door could not be opened. No matter how, nar how, how hard they beat on the door as they were floating in the water trying to get Noah to open, God shut the door and what the door that God shuts, no man can open. The, God, the door that God opens, no man can, shut, can, uh, can close, can shut. So keep that in mind. Once the flood comes and the door shuts, there is no way to enter. The coming of the flood was unexpected, and the coming of Christ will be unexpected as well. Noah warned the people for 120 years, but when it rained and the water rose, it was way too late. Jesus will be a surprise for many when he returns. Nobody knows the day or the hour. He will come like a thief in the night, and it is our responsibility to get ready and to remain ready. So Enoch... Abel, Enoch, and Noah believed God by faith, and he, they were commended by God because of their faith. They are an example of people who had assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen because they have a God who is faithful and cannot lie. Abraham, Noah, all depended on the word of God. That's all that they had. We depend on the word of God, though there's many things that the word of God promises, but we have yet to see. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word, and we thank you for teaching us about faith and what it means, uh, Lord, that, uh, that in, in fact we, uh, we have not seen much of what the word promises and says, uh, Lord, but, uh, but, we, but we trust you and your word. Uh, we know that it is the power of a God unto salvation. We know that it is the 
power of God to sanctify. Father, we know that it is true and right. We know that it will not pass away until all is fulfilled. Uh, we know that it is God-breathed and inspired, Lord. It's uh, uh, the Holy Spirit moving man along uh, to record the word for us. And uh, Lord, we trust it and we believe it by faith because we know that it is God's word and we know that it is true. And so, Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith and our trust in you and your word, uh, that we may not fall back, but that we may persevere to the end in faith. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.